Uh, I thought I would give you an extra, just a little extra something for your ticket. May I do that? So you'll feel like you're getting your money's worth. And, uh, I, you know, we have a dentist over here on the second row. And uh, I, I just told him that I want to be his poster boy. <laughs> because in, at 65, I had one little cavity on the side of one tooth. And it hadn't gone anywhere yet. It hadn't broken any, you know. And so I, I, I'm hoping he's real proud of me. <laughs> and uh, he's the one, by the way. In fact, I, I may have mentioned this before because there's several dentists here. I'm hoping that he's going to, on Monday, be putting a plaque on his office wall in the waiting room. You know what it would say, don't you? Be true to your teeth or they'll be false to you. <laughs> We, uh, we, <laughs> did you like that all right? Do you know, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a health talk, uh, just a real little short health talk, because we've had lunch and everything. Can I do that? Now, I know that a lot of you are medical people, and you say, who are you, you know, who do you think you are, and what's your qualifications, and I didn't see you down at the medical school, and everything. Now watch this now. This is really short and sweet. <clears throat> I'm going to make a confession to you. I take rat poison every day. Doctor, I take rat poison every day. Warfare. Yeah. And I don't like the idea. When I was about 20 years old, uh, the doctor remarked that I had an irregular beat. I have atrial fib. And, uh, and I didn't do anything about it. I, it was asymptomatic. You know, some people with atrial fib, they can feel it, you know, and I can't feel anything I never have. I took uh, Inderol for a, a while, you know, as a beta blocker. And, and what is it I take now? Dijoxin I take that with my, with my rat poison. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, listen to this now. This is the reason to, this is the reason to live healthy. Now, I don't like the idea of taking rat poison every day, but listen to me. The day that I have a stroke, and maybe I have a 1% chance a year, you know, of having a stroke, but the day that I have a stroke, whose life was just ruined? My wife's. My wife. Because I'll just be... But she's messed up. <laughs> See, she has to pick me up off the floor, right? She picks me up off the floor. She feeds me, bathes me, and all the rest. Because I love my wife. Number one. Huh? Number one. We owe it to those we love and who love us to live healthy. That's now, now, the first reason to live a healthy life is whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. The second reason is for the sake of those who love us and those we love. The third, the third reason is, you know, there's this, she's going to be a family practice doctor or something, right? Is that right? Is the third reason, Doc, is with a little luck, we drop dead. <laughs> we drop dead. You know, you know, modern medical science has taken away all the easy ways to die. <laughs> yeah, you used to just plop and that was it. Now, now they got to, you know, you know, you're 85 and they got to resuscitate you and just keep cutting off a dog's tail piece at a time. And you know how it is. 
With a little, with a little luck, you drop dead. So really, another motive for healthful living is to reduce the time of our disability. Wouldn't you say so? It's to reduce, so that you just drop dead. You don't just, you know, I saw a lady yesterday at the Ontario airport and she was smoking a cigarette, bless her heart. And I thought, you know, to be smoking cigarettes these days is really gross. Now, if she wants to, in other words, if she wants to, to have the, the disease that comes from smoking, have it, but have it out in the, in, in the desert someplace where her family doesn't have to bury it. Bury it, because it's her family that gets messed up, isn't it? It's her family that gets messed up. And it's not fair. It's so selfish to live an unhealthy life. Now, having said that, you see, I can talk to you this way because I'm your grandpa. And I know that if I was younger, you'd get really mad. Now, I know you get mad at me sometimes with some of the things I say because some of you got mad at me this morning. But... Uh, but you don't get too mad at Grandpa. You say, well, that's just Grandpa. You know how they are. You know, <laughs> you know just, just let him be. But listen to what Grandpa is telling you. I wasn't born yesterday. I wasn't born yesterday. Anyway, you know, um, another thing, and I'm talking to medical people, some of your medical people. I think what we call the ten natural remedies, you know, in Spanish, ¿Alguno de ustedes saben hablar español? Un remedio, un remedio is kind of like a medicine or a cure, right? Isn't that what that kind of means? These ten natural remedios... Huh, wow. These ten natural... These, what they call the ten natural remedies, are really not remedies. They're more preventative. Because when certain diseases set in, they set in, and you can drink all the water you want, and they're still there. You understand what I'm saying? And another thing that I also learned, and I, and I, I must be out of my mind to talk to medical people this way, but I, but, but I say this because, because I'm a minister, you know, in my trade, there's, there's faith healers. Benny Hinn would be one. Do you know I was talking with a doctor yesterday? Do you know there's 30%, uh, we have a 30% factor that's called the placebo effect. Am I right on that? There's a placebo effect. And when I heard that, I thought to myself, that's what keeps the faith healer alive. Because, because for some reason, that we don't understand, at least us laymen, and I don't think you doctors do either, that diseases will suddenly go into remission and nobody knows why. Uh, and they can say it's because I, you know, that I, I drank 20 gallons of water a day. But that, what, that didn't have anything what to do with it. You understand what I'm saying? There are diseases, I'm sure that you understand, for which there, that, that, that we can, that we can, uh, we can uh, what should I say, prevent them on, to a certain degree, right? Some of us, I was talking to, to, to the dentist, I said, you know, a lot of us are more ge genetically inclined than we would like to admit. There's cancer that runs in families, isn't there? There's heart disease and, and all that runs in families. So we, we do have as, as genetically propensities and we live a healthful, healthful lifestyle to play that down, to kind of hold it back. But I'm just not comfortable, really, and I think that we need to be careful when somebody comes along and says, for example, and I know this will maybe bother some people, says, you know, there's a cure for cancer, but they're keeping it secret. 
And you know, I just can't understand the ethic to that. You, know, I mean, you have heard that before, maybe. If they're keeping it secret so they can make money. And I'm thinking, you to yourself, you mean to say the doctors whose children are dying of cancer are keeping it secret? You mean to say all of these people, they're keeping it secret so they can watch their... I, I don't think so. The, there are diseases that are just diseases. Some of them we're able to hold back and repress or even once in a while cure them. But to just... When you hear somebody says, I've got a cure for blankety-blank, you know, just roll your eyes. Are you with me, doctor? Am I pretty right on that? I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm not saying we shouldn't live a healthy lifestyle. But, 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 but we, must not, we must not just fall for anything that comes along. I heard a story in, in, that happened, was supposed to have happened in India. And uh, maybe you've heard the story that there was a charlatan came to town. And, uh, and he claimed to be able to turn uh, uh, pebbles into gold. And he would take this, you've maybe heard this one, and so right in the middle of the, of, the, of, the, of the village there in India, he sets up this pot and he mixes these, these potions. Of course, he has salted some gold stuff in the bottom before he started the mix. Then the, all the villagers, they gather around and, uh, and, he, uh, and they start watching him and he's doing hocus pocus, you know, and, and then he takes these little pebbles, he throws them into the pot, he reaches down and he pulls out the gold. Everybody says, wow. The richest man in town says, yeah. How much you want for the formula? Not for sale. Oh no, come on, I want to buy that. You can't. Come on, I'll pay any price for that. Then they start negotiating. You know how it goes. So they get up to some ridiculous price. And the guy then gives for this money this, this recipe to how to turn stones into gold takes his money and he starts walking away and then he turns back to the guy and he says, oh, there's one thing I forgot to write on the paper. If when you're mixing that up you think of a little red monkey, it won't work. You, if when you're mixing the mix, the potion, if you think of a little red monkey, it won't work. Which means what? He's going to think of a little red monkey every time. Anyway, any, anyway, I don't know what that had to do with anything. I, uh, it's just that don't fall for everything, right? It's just that don't fall for everything. I believe in the, in the healthy lifestyle, but I also believe in the docs that are around here. Don't you think so? I actually, I, sometimes I actually humiliate myself and take antibiotics. <laughs> I, and I, I don't think I ought to feel that I don't believe in God or need to be rebaptized. You know what I'm saying? So, and so I, I think that, that when you hear Grandpa talk, don't, don't think narrow these days. Think wide. Think wide. Think broad. Now, you hear, hear where I'm coming from, especially in, in faith and moral. If somebody comes along and says, this is the key. This little thing is here's the key. This is what's been missing. Hey, in the Christian life, it's not this big. It's this big. Understand that. And so, now there's one thing that I hesitated to say this morning that, that I think it, that, that, that was necessary to say. Uh, a person's theology tends to be a reflection of their personal morality. Did you hear what I just said? A person's theology tends to be a, a reflection of their personal morality, which means this. 
that if we have known sin in our lives, sin that we know about, that we're protecting, we will be attracted to error like a bee is to honey. Because we will be looking for ideologies that cover our lifestyle. This is why the, 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 the active ingredient that I talked about, repentance, is essential. If we're not repenting every day and confessing our sins and putting it away, we can be drawn into error like a bee is to honey. Look out for that. Do you hear what your grandpa said? Why aren't you taking notes? <laughs> she, says, she says, I'm not because I've got a photographic memory. I have a photographic memory too, but it's out of focus. <laughs> and you, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah, right. It's almost like having a valet, a technical valet, to have this guy come. Listen, I want to just read to you. I'm about to start talking about prayer in just a minute or two. Here's an observation I've written down. Have you noticed that Baptist parents rejoice when their children get saved. Have you ever heard them say that? I'm so thankful that Ryan got saved last Sunday. What do Adventist parents say? I'm so thankful that Jacob got baptized. Is there a difference? Yes. Because one, we Adventists tend to look at, at, at salvation as being catechized. Learn the list, raise your hand and say yes and you're in. Huh? But let me tell you this. We weren't wrong in the past. This is another thing that I said. We weren't wrong in the past when we said, we said, uh, don't eat catfish. But we should have also included, don't be mean. We weren't wrong when we said, the seventh day is the Sabbath. But we should have also included, be kind. Amen. Guess what's happening now? We're preaching, don't be mean, and we're eating catfish. <laughs> right? We're, we're preaching, be kind, and the Sabbath's on the slide. In other words, in the past, we weren't wrong, only narrow and shallow. We're still narrow and shallow. Uh, we've got 28 doctrines. We should have at least 30 the, the, the 29th one should be don't be mean and the 30th one should be be kind it's just that that our tendency our tendency is that being an Adventist before was external and you didn't even have to be born again to be one and now the, now the conflict comes we're beginning to see we need to be born again and many of them are washing down their pork with wine give me a break Our standards, our standards, by the way, I was thinking one day on the way to church, the standards of our church are the roof that protects the rest of our Christian life. I used to live in South Asia. Over there they have all kinds. Any of you from India here? You know, India is an incredible place. Everything there is about religion. You can tell by the way a person looks, you know, but their name, everything is built in. Their last name will tell you who they are. Have you ever seen the Sikhs? We have Sikhs over here. They got the turban, you know. And by the way, a Sikh has, whether you can see it or not, he's got a turban, he's got silver bangles, and he's got a sword on him someplace. Originally, it was a real one. 
Now he might be carrying a little ceremonial one. But that makes him a Sikh. And his name is always Singh. Not S-I-N-G, but the Singh that means lion. That's what makes you a Sikh. You strip those things off, you aren't one anymore. In other words, you see, you see, people, you can't be a son or a daughter of God without looking like one. They used to say that you could tell an Adventist by looking at him. You can't anymore. I don't think it's wrong for God to expect that sons and daughters of his will look different from those who are. No, we're not saved by the way we're dressed, but when you get saved, you dress different. You see, listen, see, we don't want to throw out our standards. When, when we learn that we're saved by grace through faith, this doesn't make the Sabbath go away. It gives it meaning. And, and, I, and I want to say this, and I better start doing prayer in just a minute. But we're going to have something to pray about now, right? I want to tell you that the Sabbath is at risk in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I was going to preach about that this morning on, on, when, in the sermon called More Than a Day Off. The Sabbath's at risk in the Seventh-day Adventist church. If we keep going, when I mean collectively, if we keep going the way we're going in five more years, for the average Adventist, terminos medios, how am I doing Spanish? You don't know that word? They're taking us over, man. You better learn it. Anyway, 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 if things keep going the way they are, in five years, uh, in the average Adventist context, it's very likely that the Sabbath will mean the same to the average Adventist as Sunday means to the average Sunday keeper, which means you go to church and that's the end of it. We're almost there already. The Sabbath is at risk in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And let me say this. The ones that are putting it at risk, bless their hearts, are the youth leaders. Uh, well, I want to tell you, the word that's being used, the buzzword, now I don't mean all the youth leaders, some of them. The word that's being used to degrade the Sabbath is the word, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, the issue was never, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Christians do good every day, man. So, I mean, don't talk to me about... And if doing good on the Sabbath is the ultimate test of Sabbath keeping, then the text which says of a man who doesn't support his family is worse than an infidel is the ultimate good, which means the Sabbath is finished. The issue is not, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? The issue is... How do you keep the Sabbath holy? That's the one. That's the debate. So when you hear people say, well, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath, say that was never the problem. The challenge that we face is how to keep the Sabbath holy. And so just look out for that. The Sabbath is at risk in the Seventh-day Adventist church. It's going to be degraded. It is being degraded. But the banner under which it's happening is that it's lawful to do good. Look out for that. By the way, if you're not thinking for yourself these days, others will be thinking for you. But another thing I want to just tell you, too, that our natural tendency, and I think I'm talking to Orthodox people, our natural tendency is when you find out and you look at what's going on and let's say the, 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 the majority, the tendency can be to get mad. And I want to say resist that 
Because those who receive the seal of God are not mad. They're sighing and crying. So you can get mad at your pastor, but that doesn't... When you, as soon as you get mad at your pastor, you've dropped out of what Jesus does, who lives ever to make intercession for us. We're supposed to be salt and leaven, go, and so we should be mixed in the churches, bringing a new attitude and new sound. And I think we've got to be the, have the guts. In fact, this is one thing that worries me a little bit. You know, I've said to people, maybe I mentioned this last night, when somebody says, comes to you and says, do you believe this or this? They're probably giving you two real unacceptable options. When people say that to me, I say, give me a third option, because I don't think either one of those are right. I'm someplace else. Anyway, we're in really incredible times. Are you all right? Can you take this kind of stuff? You know, we're supposed to be thinkers, you know. We're not supposed to, we're supposed to be thinkers. You know, I really appreciate the people that sit on the front row. You know, you know, when I talk, when I talk, do you notice I'm talking to somebody? Now I'm talking to you. Yeah. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, anyway, you know, we ministers will say to people, we'll say, come and sit on the front row. We're always doing that. One day I was going to workers meeting in Florida. There were 200 ministers and I walked in the room. I went right for the back row. I said, it's, it's happening to me. I'm doing it. And I figured out exactly how seating works. I was the one. I was just being honest with myself. I realized that where I sit in a particular meeting depends on how much I intend to participate. I see you sitting out on the back wall there. If there weren't walls in this building, the guy would be sitting in the swimming pool. But you see, see, he's come to watch. He's come to watch. He says, I don't know about old Phil, man. I'm just going to watch it happen. And then I'll, I'll make up my mind later. But this crowd is playing, see? I, I, this is the crowd. I, I, I need to talk to somebody when I preach. I don't, you can't, when you're talking to everybody, you're not talking to anybody. So you'll notice how I'll pick out a few. It's kind of embarrassing, but it's a lot more interesting. You don't mind me doing that, do you? No, anyway. I, I, wrote, I wrote two books on prayer. We've advertised that one of our talks would be the secret of answered prayer and the other one would be uh, how to keep the devil from uh, answering your prayers and the devil is answering prayer these days big time uh, I wrote two books on prayer one is entitled and maybe you've seen it in the ABC it's entitled transforming prayer praying to be and not to get you didn't get that did you the other was called if with all your heart a God-seeker's guide to effective prayer. If there was ever a time in, 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 you know, in which we've gone through a change probably in our church, we used to be a people very much into the Word. We weren't much into prayer. But now we're probably more into prayer, I'm talking about collectively, than we are into the Word. You know, and, and let me say this, I said this morning that I believe that Adventists are not the only true Christians. I believe that there's more people going to go to church tomorrow who are God's children than went to church today. I really do that. Otherwise, where do we get this come out of her, my people thing? Come on, give us a break. Talk about the people of God. Just don't talk about the Adventists. 
That's really narrow. Anyway, one thing I do am very uncomfortable about, and that is that it seems like we are using the charismatics now as our template for about everything. They write our songs. Uh, they teach us church growth. They teach us how to pray. They do everything. And I, and, I, and I, you know, I was telling somebody this morning about the small group. You know, everything's about small group. You know, come and join my small group. Small group. Listen, this church had small groups before the Charismatics knew what it was about, but we didn't call it that. We called it Sabbath school class. Huh? You, you didn't have to take off an extra night of the week. You were there. And what it did recently, or, or when we, did, we were doing Sabbath school class, it was the center of learning God's Word. It was a prayer unit, and it was a missionary unit. Listen, you won't remember this. You will, because I can see you're really old. Yeah, you know, I, I can tell. But, 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 but you, weren't, you weren't even born yet. Now, he looks like... Now, I know what, see? I know what these guys think. You know, you know the, the young people, they think, man, the world didn't even exist before about 1980. I think that that was when creation came. By the way, uh, do you know why people our age... Why we never say, well, no, let me just put it this way. You know, young people will say, you know, some of you young people will say, let's try this and see what happens. You know why we never say that? Our crowd, we know what'll happen. <laughs> yeah, isn't that right? Experience is so much. But anyway, I, I, anyway, what we've done to the Sabbath school, if you have influence in your church, try to, try to, don't try to build new systems. You see, you see, we've got to find delivery systems that already exist. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. In other words, the, 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 the end time events is not a revolution. It's a reformation. It's a revival. So one thing that I can remember as a young man, you were really sleepy this morning. Wasn't it you that was almost going to sleep? Couldn't have been you, huh? Do you have a twin? It was your twin. I know. I'm, I, I'm not sure it was you, but somebody went. No, I, I do that all. The, I have the hardest time staying awake in church. By the way, if, if the devil, if the devil can't keep you from going to church, he wants to put you to sleep. Over in the Philippines, somebody was possessed of an evil spirit, and and they started talking with the devil. I wouldn't suggest that. And they said to the devil, "Do you ever go to church?" He said, "I go every week." And he says, "What do you do in church?" He says, "I make the people go to sleep." And I thought, isn't that... Now, the old split hoof, who, who's the father of lies, told the truth for the first time in his life. Because you can sit and watch the television and watch it till the test pattern comes on, you know. To, uh, watch the four-hour spectacular, but 15 minutes into the sermon, it's... Anyway. Anyway, let me tell you this. Back in the old days... You see why sometimes I forget, doctor, I get a lot of balls in the air, don't I? It's sometimes you drop a ball or two. Anyway, back in the old days, when you went to Sabbath school class, they asked you how many times you studied. And they wrote it on a card. Guess what you did then? You studied. They would also, also have a missionary report in the class. They would ask you how much literature you distributed and how many missionary contacts you made. Guess what you did? There was accountability. But this, you know what we did? We dumbed down the Sabbath school class to the level of the loser. Well, you know, if you ask people how many times they study, you're liable to in, insult them. So guess what? Nobody studied. You see, what we've got to do is, 
is we've got to raise the bar. You can lower the bar so low that you don't even need Jesus to jump over it. Anyway, I, I just don't think we need to use the charismatics as, uh, as, as models or as mentors. In fact, when we call them in to teach us, they come in, it, they Trojan horses, they come in bearing gifts. We think they're teaching us how to, how to, what to do church growth. They also, by the way, the charismatic, he has an, maybe an unwritten agenda, and that's to do away with our distinctive doctrine. He wants to see that happen. Our doctrine, the doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is seditious. Because it calls them babbling, doesn't it? How do you think they feel about that? Anyway, let me just say before, I'm going to go and talk about prayer in just a minute. This is extra. This is extra. You shouldn't be mad. This is like buying something and they say, buy this, get two. Anyway, anyway, uh, some of this music they write. Not to talk about the rock and roll side. You know, I, I, I preach a lot about that. I've done a lot of sermons. I don't say much about that anymore. Uh, my sermons are with American Cassette Ministries. I have a lot I say about worship. A lot I say about worship. But I want to tell you this. When I hear people say, it's not the, the music, it's the words, give me a break. You know, it's like the dentist over here. Huh? If, 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 if it's the words that make it, you know, and it's not the music, then he could be playing in his waiting room the theme from Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. <laughs> Don't tell me it's the words. Huh? In other words, in a horror movie, huh, what scares you out of your gourd? It's, it's the music, and it doesn't have words. It's not like, and they're going to, you know, strangle each other. It's just... Don't tell me it's the words that sanctify it. Hey, let me tell you, that rock beat, even a child that big, you know regular music, you have to tap your foot. Or you finish the words before you finish the music. In other words, it's got meter. Right? But, but while with regular music, you tap your foot to keep the meter together, with, with, uh, with rock, you bump and grind. And like somebody said to me one time, you can't worship God with your pelvis. But that's where they're at. This music, anybody knows, is about one thing. It's about sex. It's a sex sound. And to suggest that we would use that in the worship of God is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. But just let me just say something about this, some of this new music that's being written. It's real short. If you notice that, it's just little two-liners. And by the way, they'll say those two-liners for a half hour. They'll just stand there and sing those three lines over and over. But you notice the pronoun that's used in those words. It's I. It's me. And it's my. Let me tell you, you and I's religious experience until we walked in here, when we're outside, it's I, me, and my. But when you walk in here, it's us, ours, and we. You see, that's what worship is about. Private devotion is about me, my, I. But when you walk into the house of God, it's about us, ours, and we. One time I was in a church and I was, and they had the, uh, the what do you call them, the worship leaders. I, I, as a minister, I'm not comfortable with that. If they're the worship leaders, then who am I? No, I'm the worship leader. I'm the worship leader. You're the song leader. 
Come on now. Huh? Anyway, these guys, bless their hearts, had been doing that music. It was on the screen. And they were about to step down for me to preach. And I said, stay where you're at. Watch this now. I said, let's sing those same songs again. But every time the pronoun says I and me and mine, say us and we and our. We sang it again. You can't believe the change that comes with the whole feeling. It just changed. So next time that they sing one of those songs where you're around, do that. Tell them Grandpa told you to do that so they won't get mad. Say, you know, there was a white-haired guy. Say, he was really old. But he said something was really interesting. You know, they're not all crazy, those old people. But I thought it was a good idea. Let's try it out. Try it out. See what a blessing it is to you. I think that's a good idea. Anyway, uh, uh, prayer has been kind of taken over by the charismatics. Exorcism is a thing that they're big into, and, and I won't talk about that. Anyway, prayer should, should be a habit, but it easily becomes a routine. I want to talk to you about the... Anyway, as much as I'm going to keep going, you're not going to worry about it, are you? Anyway, the uh, prayer easily becomes a routine. I don't know who to pick out. I'll pick you out. It says California. The, a Schwarzenegger pays him to wear that shirt. I think it's, what is it, three mils a day or something like that. It's advertising. Anyway, have you ever been saying your prayer before you go to sleep at night and had to wake yourself up to say amen? That's what I thought. I thought he said, no, speak any English. <laughs> I got to get somebody over here. Anybody speak English over here? I'm glad to see you laugh, honey. I haven't seen you laugh much for a while. You're really a serious person. Have, uh, have you ever been saying your prayer before you go to bed and had to wake yourself up to say, hey, man, be honest? Yes, of course she has. Have you? Of course we all have. We all have. Before now, you thought you were the only one, but it's all of us. I remember one day I came home from lunch. I came home for lunch, and I sat down, and, uh, and, uh, 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 and, I, and I started eating. And uh, about halfway through my meal, I thought, I wonder if I said the blessing. <laughs> yeah, I did. Did I? No, I, no, I know I did. Uh, well, what did I say? I, I don't remember. And then guess what I did? I said it again. I don't know if it was again. I, I just said it, just to make sure. I was talking to a lady who worked for the telephone company. She told me she came home for lunch one day. She bowed her head and said, Hello, telephone company. Yeah, prayer should be a habit, but it gets to be a routine. Isn't that right? I, I, I was talking to somebody. I was talking to somebody who said, I don't know what to pray every day. He said, I just say, um, same as yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it, it can get to be, isn't that right? It gets to be a routine. I want to tell you a story. Maybe some of you have heard me tell a story. This happened to me, little sister, when I was five years old. You, didn't, you don't believe I was ever five years old, do you? I was. Yeah, and there were four of us eventually, but there were only two of us then, my sister Dana. Now, this is a math... Have you studied a lot of math? Okay, this is a math question. I was how old? Five. Five. 
My sister was three years younger than I. She still is, you know. But um, uh, she was three years younger, which means she was... Two, exactly. That was... That, that was... I know, I know. When you've been asleep, when you've been asleep, it's hard to wake up and get right involved in that kind of stuff. A- anyway, she was two years old, and uh, we were playing with... Uh, a neighborhood child, and uh, it came time for lunch. My mother invited the child to come in and have lunch with us, and uh, we gathered around the table, and mother said to Dana, who was how old? She's going to have to have counseling after that. That was very traumatic. (laughs) Anyway, Dana, who was two, she said, Dana, would you offer the blessing? And I'd like to tell you what Dana said. Could I do that? but I'm going to have to do two-year-old talk. Do I still have your permission? We closed our eyes, and Dana said, Did you understand what she said? Neither did the neighborhood child. The neighborhood child said, What'd she say? (laughs) I knew what she said, because I'd heard that prayer before. That's the prayer you pray when you pray the same prayer every day, faster and faster. Let me slow it down a little bit. Dida, puta, pan. Did that help? Let me slow it down again. Dida, puta, pan. Give me one more chance. Dear Jesus, bless the food. Amen. <laughs> but you see what happened to the child. One day, did Jesus bless the food of man? Next day, did Jesus bless the food of man? Next day, did Jesus bless the food of man? Dida, puta, pan. <laughs> But you see, the reason I tell that story, you say, Dick, it's, it's ridiculous. No, it's not. It's not. Because many people say to me, that's me. I'm in the Dita Puta Pan. I'm going to tell you a fast story. I was in Bangladesh, and I was at the Jalapar school. And uh, Bangladesh is a, is, a, is, is a Muslim country. And, uh, uh, but where we were was Hindus and it was, and you know, I don't know if you know about the Hindu thing and all, but it's really far out stuff and you could hear the drums beating at night and the, ooh, and the sacred trees and everything else. Anyway, one day I was, uh, taking a nap in the after, I was teaching summer school to, to pastors. And, uh, and, and, and so I would teach till about noon. We'd have lunch and then I'd take a little nap. We'd start again at, uh, at three o'clock. So uh, uh, I was taking that little nap. It was about time to wake up, and there was a knock at the door. And there, there was, uh, there were these uh, uh, t- students of mine, and they said, "Pastor, uh, there's a lady out at the gate, and she says we ought to do something because the devil is going to is about to kill her daughter." This was a Christian family, a Seventh Day Adventist family, who had lots of children, and they were really poor. And what had happened is that this like 13 or 14 year old daughter of theirs had fallen ill. She wasn't getting better. And somebody suggested that maybe if they took her to the Hindu guru or sadhu or whatever they call it, she'd get better. Now they knew they shouldn't do that. But listen to what I'm about to say, young person. Many times what we do when we get in trouble gets us into bigger trouble. 
And so they decided that nothing else was working. They'd go to the Hindu, whatever it was. And he said she would indeed get well if they would pay. It's a, called a shear. Like, it's like a kilo, but we're, we'll call it a pound just to, to feel comfortable. And, and we'll, if, 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 if they would pay one pound of sugar for each pound of her body weight. And they said, we'll pay. But, but they didn't. They were too poor. And so that a couple of weeks had passed, she went across the river to visit her uncle, and one day the girls went to the well to get water, and by I mean well to the well, I don't mean water this way or this way, I mean this way. And so they were pulling that water up, and suddenly out of the ground comes this thing, and it says, you owe me, and if you, and, and if, and, 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 and if you don't pay, I'm going to kill you. And the child drops her pottery or whatever she has and she begins to cry hysterically and she goes running home and she says mom dad we got to do something they're going to kill me but they were too poor and so they hadn't done anything and that day that I'm taking that nap she's walking along by the banks of the river in front of the school river on one side and these bushes on the other and she's walking along and out of the bushes comes this thing and this thing says this thing says you didn't pay so I'm going to kill you and she falls into a coma. And they come, the mother comes, you got to do something, they're going to kill my daughter. Now I had heard of stories like this before in Sabbath school. Mission Spotlight, Mission Quarterly, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I knew that this was a problem of what we might call exorcism, the demons thing. And by the way, you know the prayer that you use for the demons, what the magic words are? What are the magic words in the name of? We command the evil spirits to depart. Now, I knew that's, that was what we were going to finally do. But what I, felt, what I wanted to do, fellas, you see, I figured I would take all the mission stories that I'd ever heard and I'd make a checklist and do what they did. Because the mission stories always have a happy ending. So I made, a, ladies, a recipe. So the first thing I thought, let's see, what do you do first? Get yourself a Bible. Because I'd heard that the devil was afraid of the Bible. You know what I mean? You could just scare him away. Now later I found out that somebody in, in Sri Lanka was being harassed by evil spirits. Somebody said, put the Bible under your pillow. It'll keep you safe. She did. She woke up the next morning and the Bible had been ripped to shreds. I didn't know that, fortunately. So I checked that off in my mind. And I thought, what else do we do? Now, I knew we were going to have to go to the home and do the magic prayer. You know, the, the magic words. And so I thought, uh-oh, one other thing we better do. I've heard that if you go into the presence of the, of, of the devil with unconfessed sin, he tells everybody out loud. In fact, I heard that in New Jersey one time, there was a pastor and the lady was obsessed by demons and she came running down across the backs of the pew. Figure that one out. She was landing on the backs of the pews. She jumps and she lands right in front of the pulpit. She starts naming off his sins to his face in front of everybody. And he said, it's true, but Jesus has forgiven me for my sins. Anyway, we gathered around. You know, I wanted to make sure I covered all the bases. We gathered around and we confessed our sins. I checked that off. I couldn't think of anything else to do. It wasn't too far. As we came down toward where the, where the people lived, 
I could hear loud wailing. You know what I mean by wailing? Remember when Jesus went to that house where the little girl was dead? They were wailing. So as I walked up to the house, ah, there's crying and wailing and everything. And as I walked up, I said something to somebody and, and, and it was quiet. And you could just hear dog bark in the distance. And then I walked up and there beside the door she lay and I'll never forget she had her hands crossed across her breast and she was unconscious. And I went over and I looked at her and somebody says, you want to hear her talk? I said, how's that? They said, when we put a special leave under her nose, she talks. I said, no, I don't want to hear her talk. Because who might you be talking to? You might be talking to the devil. Now, I did something next, which I'm not sure I would do again another time. I called the family together, and I, I did some pastoral counseling. I really bawled them out. That's what I did. I told them they shouldn't have made that deal with the devil in the first place. I don't think I'd do that another time. By the way, when somebody makes a mistake, you know, in other words, if you're, if you're, you know, if somebody's coming along, it's, in this case, you know, it's my grandchild, and I say, look out, honey, you're going to drop it. Bang! I told you to look out. No, when it drops, that's no time to say, I told you to look out. That's a time to help the little thing clean it up. So I think I was off on that. I think I should have talked with them later. I should have encouraged them. But anyway, I wanted to get everything right. Checklist. Finally, we came around. We made a half circle around her. And uh, the first person on the left prayed. Prayed in Bengali. I don't know what he said. But when he got to the place where I assumed he was saying, in the name of Jesus, we command the evil spirits to depart. I had my eyes closed. When he said that, I... You would have done the same, wouldn't you? Sure. What's supposed to happen? In the mission stories, it's over. Nothing happened. I thought, uh-oh, what's wrong? Next person prayed. Nothing. My turn. I thought, uh-oh. What, what have we left out? Haven't we done everything we're supposed to do? I thought, I'll bet I know what it is. It's the prayer. You can't just say in the name of Jesus we command the evil spirits to depart. In the first place, you've got to offer a long prayer. Use big words, like in church. Just really make it last long. And then when you come to those words in the name of Jesus, you've got to say them with power like those charismatics do. In the name of Jesus! You know how they do on the... In the name of Jesus! I figured you got to do it with power. And so I bowed my head. And I offered the longest prayer I could pray. I just used all the big words. Finally, I couldn't think of anything else to say. And I said with power, in the name of Jesus, we command these evil spirits to depart. Nothing. I want to tell you, fellas, something happened then that's never happened before or happened since. I began to cry. Not boo-hoo. The tears began to come down my eyes like a river. And I forgot all the magic words and all the checklists. And I just said, Oh God, please help us. And in that instant, 
she opened up her eyes. And I reached down and took her by the hand and I lifted her up. It's not magic words. You know, you, some of you fellas work on those construction crews. I used to work on a plastering crew where those fellas couldn't put two clean words together. They used the magic words all day long. Yeah, it's not the ma- What does the scripture say? It's the effectual what? Fervent prayer. You know, and sometimes we say, you know, I don't think God hears my prayers. Right. Dita Puta Pan. Right. Guess who's not listening? But then maybe it's no wonder. It's no wonder that, 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 that people get into Dita Puta Pan and same as yesterday because for, for, for most people, God's not answering their prayers anyway. So you, in other words, I'll pray about it and then I'll get plan B. Because you've got to do what you've got to do. Now other people say, God answers all my prayers. Oh really? What's he say? No. He said no. But that's an answer to prayer. Right. You know, another person says, well, he says no, or he says wait, or he says maybe, or get in line, or whatever it is. But, you, know, you, know, I, you, know, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think that Jesus, who has more to say about prayer than he does about preaching, is going to tell us to pray so that he can say No. You know, it's like me saying to you, may I give you this Bible? Ask me for it. Go ahead. No. That doesn't make any sense. I just said, ask me for it, and I do, and I get a no out of it. That doesn't make any sense. Now, I want to tell you, some people are comfortable with with God answering their prayers no all the time. I'm not. I got problems with that. And you know, the scripture says someplace that sometimes you can use the things that are seen to understand the things that are not seen. Did I tell you about my wife, Betty? Oh, she's a sweetheart. I don't know what, how, what, how I lucked out by marrying a girl like that. She's so nice. I hope you'll be as nice as she is. You know, I hope you will. But anyway, did I tell you how long I've been married? 46 years. And remember I told you Betty and I haven't had five fights that went from one day to the next. Not bad, huh? You know, sometimes when you say these days you've been married for 46 years, they want to give you a standing ovation. But I say, don't do that till my funeral. I promise till death do us part. (laughs) Anyway, if you're not married yet, that's the biggest thing you do here. Do that right. Do that right. In fact, if you're not married yet, remember what I said. Start praying for her or for him. They, they're out. You know, you know, if you're not married, or you, you're not married, I know. But she's two-thirds married. Remember I told you about that. She's willing to get married. She's found somebody to marry. She just got to find somebody to marry. And, and, uh, but you know, honey, he's out there somewhere today. Hope he's not in jail. <laughs> but by the way, by the way, let me just say to the girls, let me say to the girls, you girls, when you relate to a, to a boy, you have two instincts. You have, when you're relating to a boy and you're not married, you have two instincts, a mother instinct and a sweetheart instinct. And many times, the mother instinct will go dominant. Or, I mean, will go, uh, yeah, yeah, will go dominant. 
Because, you know, a, a girl will say, you know, I know he's no good. He's really a jerk, but he needs me. <laughs> I, I think I can help him. Girls, you, you do that, you're an idiot. A, 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 fellow, a fellow, what you see is not what you get. He'll be less than he is now, not more. And if you think you're going to change him, it's only till the honeymoon night. And then he goes, he reverts to default. And you, can't, and you can't click any box that'll change that. So girls, look out for that. Make sure. Make sure that he's a man of God. It's better to be single than to be badly married. But anyway, I was telling you about Betty, wasn't I? How I always did be like her. Anyway, I, I told you how long we've been married. You forgot already. Thank you for remembering. Remember, I told you this morning that our birthday's on the same day. Did you write it down? Be September 16, because I want lots of cards. Remember, I told you that we're not the same age, that one's one year older than the other, but I couldn't tell you which for obvious reasons. Because she gets mad, you know what I mean. Anyway, anyway, listen to what I'm about to say, because this... You see, you got to keep thinking when I talk. Or in other words, if you know, if you just get hung up, then you get lost, and you're out there in the mountains someplace. You never come back. Uh, listen to this. Nine times out of ten, when I ask Betty for a favor, she says yes. I'm serious. And now, 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 now you say, so what's the deal? Because nine times out of ten, I ask God for something, He says no. What's the deal? Who loves me the most? What's the problem? Now, I want to tell you, I got the answer to this. I figured this out. You see, I got a problem with prayer. If we're not getting more yeses, remember this is about the secret to answered prayer. If we're not getting more yeses and noes, we're not praying right. Now, I told you how long we've been married, 46 years. Do you know, if it occurs to me to ask Betty for a favor, after 46 years, I already have a pretty good idea what she's going to say. And if it occurs to me that she's going to say no, brother, guess what I don't do, man? I'm not as dumb as I look, boy. You'd have to be out of your mind to say, I think I'm going to ask Betty for a favor. She's going to say no, but I'm going to do it anyway. No, you've got to be an idiot, man. And, 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 and what would our marriage be like? If nine times out of ten I ask her for a favor, she says no. Is it any wonder that our relationship with God sometimes goes funny? Because I'm praying my head off and nothing's happening. And you don't say, well, it's probably because I'm not fasting. I need to fast. You know, Mahatma Gandhi fasted. He used that as a tool. You know, you know fasting, fasting is a part of spiritual life. doesn't impress God. He's nice anyway. You don't have to do like Gandhi did and say, if you don't do what I want, I'll starve myself to death. In fact, I don't think that prayer is a process by which we try to get God to do what we want. I think it's the other way around. Anyway, you'll find out more about this in just a minute. Anyway, so you say, well, the reason I'm not getting yeses is because I don't fast. Or maybe I need to pray all night. Of course, that brings up another question. Does God answer prayers at 3 o'clock in the morning that he wouldn't answer at 3 in the afternoon? Well, what do you say? You shouldn't pray all night? Yeah, for your sake you pray all night, but for his sake, what difference does it make? 
You hear where I'm coming from? You see, what we're looking for is the trick. Just tell me what button to push, man. Tell me where, where, where to put my nickel. Tell me the magic words so I can get on with my life. Anyway, uh, the, the, I told you about Betty. She usually always says yes, God says no. What's the secret to getting Betty uh, to, to do your favor? To know her. To know her. Come on. It's just to know her. What would be the secret to getting God to answer our prayer with a yes? To know Him. That's what it is. But you say, how do you do that, Dick, man? How do you do that? There's Betty. She's right there, man. If she was here today, she'd probably be sitting right here with you girls. What do you do? But where's God? I can't see Him. Listen, Jesus tells us how to pray so that we get a yes answer every time. And it's in Matthew 6, the last part of the chapter. And you've been there lots of times. The disciples were talking to Jesus and they must have been really hung up because Jesus says to them, take no thought for tomorrow. Remember that? And, and uh, what you eat or what you drink or what you know and how you're going to clothe yourself. Because he said, we take care of the animals. There's these mountain jays out there. God's taking care of them. He clothes them. He feeds them. He takes care of them. He says, he says son, he says, you're more important than the mountain jay or all those squirrels out there. We'll take care of you. But if you want to have a priority in your life, you seek first the what? Kingdom, Kingdom of God and His what? Right. Righteousness and everything else will be what? Added unto you. Do you know, listen now, go with me to Romans 14 verse 17. Because you could say, what in the world is the kingdom of God? Somebody got an English Bible. No, you just turned to it. I thought you'd turn to it for me. Anyway, anyway, this, this chapter, Romans 14, verse 17, tells us what the kingdom of God is, and it tells us what it isn't. Okay. All right, here's, here's what it's going to say. Romans 14, verse 17, says this. For the kingdom of God is not in what? meat and drink what do we usually pray about that's the stuff we're praying about you know we you know i think most of more of us pray for our cars you know you get up in the morning and you say god help my car to start i know i need a new battery but do a miracle in my life are you going down the highway and there's a speed trap and you say save me jesus uh, we're praying that we get in you know that we get a job Huh? Or we're praying that we're this or that. We usually are, pray, are praying about what I call the flesh and its support groups. But Jesus said that we should be praying for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, it says, is not in meat and drink, but what? Peace, joy, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Here's the point. The point is, righteousness and peace and joy is not something you have in your pocketbook. It's who you are. That's why I say, I say, we've got to learn to pray to be and not to get. I know in my ministry, you know, I'll say, are there any requests for prayer tonight? Yes, Pastor. My grandma's in the hospital and she's going to have surgery. Now, is there anything wrong with praying for that grandma's surgery? Not in the least, except that when it's successful, guess what? We don't pray anymore. 
or, 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 when we're not praying to get well, and that's most of it. We're praying to get rich, maybe. Not me, not get rich, but, you know, get a job. I'm out of work, Pastor. Pray that. A lady said to me one time, she said, Pastor, my son's not a Christian. He's out of work. Pray that he finds work. Was she seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Tell me. No, because if she was, she'd have said, my boy's out of work. He's not a Christian. Pray that God will use this experience in his life to bring him back to Jesus. You see, many times we're praying that God will take out of our lives the very thing that would bring the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit in. Have you ever prayed the Lord would help you to be patient? You know what the curriculum for that is? Frustration. Who's the impatient person? The one that gets their way all the time. So when you and I are praying for, for patience, we're really saying, God, I give you permission to bring into my life any numbers of kinds of frustration. Have you ever prayed the Lord would make you humble? Don't do it. That's the worst prayer you can pray. <laughs> you, know what, you know what the curriculum for that is? It's this. And you know what they say these days? I ain't going to let nobody walk on me. The only way in the world that we could ever be humble is to be humiliated. You see, I'm convinced in my ministry, by the way, you may not believe it. You may want my autograph when this is over. I wrote a Sabbath school quarterly. I did. It's on the fruit of the Spirit. But it comes out in 2009. You'll be as old as me when it comes out. <laughs> Isn't that something that makes, what am I going to do, hold my breath? But you know, when I studied the fruit of the Spirit, I became convicted and convinced that the fruit of the Spirit comes from suffering. It does. In other words, you remember, you, you remember the scripture even says, if you love those who love you, what's, what's the deal? But what's Jesus say? Love your enemy. And when you go down the list of the fruit of the Spirit, you can see that in, that in order for that to function, it has to fly in the face of the common wisdom. So what's the secret of answered prayer? It's to pray to be. And, 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 and once you learn that, once you and I get that into our heads, then suddenly the text that says, all things work together for good, kicks in. Because if we're praying to get, and that means that we get sick, we just messed up. He must not love me. I don't know why he's doing this to me. Or if we think we're praying to get rich, and we lose our job, you say, I don't know why he's doing this to me. But I want to tell you, when we're praying to be righteousness and peace and joy and the fruit of the Spirit, I don't care what happens, as the Apostle Paul says, nothing will separate you from the love of God. In fact, I've found out since I've been praying, to be and not to get. I'm praying more and more about less and less because there's things that just don't make any difference anymore. But before we're just hung up, I'm just praying it won't rain today. And the person next door is praying it will. It's just all messed up. But we're praying to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Would you go along with that? Anyway, let's see if I got to the end of the sermon yet. Hey, what time was this supposed to be over? The whole thing was over at five? The first half at five? Well, I haven't done too bad. It's ten minutes till. 
Before we talk about more about prayer, and, the, and we'll take a, a break, and that is this. You know, we ministers are paid to pray. Phone rings. Ring. Hello, pastor. Yeah. My sister's in the hospital. Would you go pray for her? Yes, ma'am. Ring. Pastor, I need you to pray. Would you pray for me? Yes, ma'am. We met, we're paid to pray. It's, it's a job description. We pray with anybody and everybody. In fact, you see somebody walking along, you say, Pastor, if you go out and pray, yes, just do God. Yeah, wait a minute. That's our job description. You know, you know, son, one time I realized that I was praying with anybody and everybody, with anything and everything in my life except one person. Guess who it was? My wife. How many married people do we have here today? Can I see your hand? How many wish you were married? Now, anyway, you don't have to put up your hands. In. No, but then we could, if you raise your hand, yes, then we could have after sundown kind of a get-together, right? <laughs> and um, So this is for married people, but it's for those who will be married someday. It works this way. Is that many of us men, I'm talking to the men who are single still, many of us men have subcontracted spiritual things for, to our wives. If I want to talk about the computer, I talk to the man. About the truck, I talk to the man. Talk about the ball game, I talk with a man. But if I want to talk to Jesus, I have to talk to the little lady. Because she has a contract for the religion. I stayed in a home one weekend. Every time we sat down at the table to pray, it was the head deacon. Every time we sat down to pray, she always prayed. I said, I want to say, man, where are you in this mix? Where are you? What's going on around here? You know. She's probably got the contract, you know. Anyway, listen. Now, Betty and I had family worship. Uh, we prayed when we get in the car. And we would pray uh, uh, before we ate. But just the two of us praying together alone, no. I thought to myself, I'm praying with everybody else but my wife. And I want you young men who are going to get married, just get this straight. Just get this straight. You're to be the spiritual leader of your home. Just don't give this up to the little lady. Women are a little more spiritual than men. God put it in them because they raise the kids. But that's not the way it's supposed to be, fella. You're not married yet. Are you two-thirds married too? Are you two-thirds married? You're not married. Yeah, but you're willing to get married, right? Yeah. And, 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 and we could find somebody to do the ceremony, right? Yeah. No, I mean someday. <laughs> Anyway, I think, he must, I think he must have come in late. Wouldn't you say that? He must have come in late. Anyway, uh, what I'm saying, fellas, is that I decided that I was praying with anybody and everybody, and I'm talking to married people now, and anything and everything but my wife, Betty, and I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore, that the last thing we would do at night, Betty and me, would be pray out loud in each other's presence. And if, in, on your marriage list, Girl, <laughs> uh, you want to do that? It's not sexy. It's not romantic. It's bonding. It's bonding. In fact, if you're praying with your spouse out loud every night, you you can't divorce them, because because it's impossible to be praying with them and pl plotting to divorce them at the same time. You can't pull it off. 
families that what? Pray together, stay together. So I just want to challenge the married couples, there are not many of them, who are here, just do this when you go home tonight. If you go home, if you haven't prayed together out loud, please try that. Now, it is a little embarrassing if you've never done it before. By the way, if you're engaged and you're here, get this started with your fiancé. Get this started. Now, it, 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 it can be a little embarrassing if you've, if you've never done it before. But I'll never forget what one lady said to me one time. She says, my husband went home and we prayed together for the first time. You should have heard what he said. I have so much respect for him now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We men want respect from our wives more than anything. But we're going to have to earn it, fellas. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, you, that you married people are thinking. Man, if I go home and start being the spiritual leader in my home, my wife will sue me for breach of contract. I'll have to go to court and everything. No, she won't. Just go home tonight, take that contract and rip it up. And say, honey, by the grace of God, I'm going to be the spiritual leader in the home from here on. And if you're engaged or you're wishing you were, put that on your wish list. And make sure that when he pops the question to you, little sister... You just say, you know, I hope you're thinking of, you know, and before I answer, I want you to understand. You know, I don't want to anyway. <laughs> but you get the idea, don't you? Uh, and, and, and so what did you hear me say? Uh, the sermon is over. Before we take our break, doctor's sitting here. He's looking really serious. I hope he's serious when he does his teeth, but I wish he was smiling now. He looks like he's just had one of his own teeth. He looks like he just accidentally pulled one of his own teeth. <laughs> What did you hear me say in that talk on prayer? A few things. A few things. That's, that was really profound, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, I could just see him in, in dental school taking the final test. And the professor, and he just puts, the professor, what, I learned a few things, Doc. Well, what did you learn? Well, I don't remember, but there was quite a few things. <laughs> One thing, come on, son, give me a break. Sit up straight there. You're sitting on the... <laughs> You're, you're sitting on the back of your neck. Come on. What'd you hear me say? If, if you walk out the door and somebody wasn't there and they'll say, where were you? Well, I was over old Phil's talk on prayer. What'd he say? I'll let him know when I think of it. He's a stubborn fella, ain't he? Yeah, anyway, what can I say? You know, I don't have a police force or an army. So this is another guy over here from, from, from O'Neill. You see, this is the problem. Men are not used to... If I ask a girl this, she'll answer it in a minute. Fellas, that shouldn't be. This guy's going to be an exception. <laughs> Just get it in your mind. I'll give you a second. You ready? Uh, what I get from your message is to pray for one another and in order to build a relationship, to pray with that person. Basically, it's just to build your whole life around prayer. But praying for what? I came in a little late. <laughs> okay, praying to be. To be. Yeah, we prayed that, it, that, that we'd you know, get a new job. Uh, or that we prayed we'd get well. Or we prayed that we'd whatever it is. But it's time to pray that the, that the fruit of the Spirit will be manifest in our lives, whatever it takes. Is everybody, how do you feel, better or worse? Are you all right? Can you stand this kind of thing? 
Yeah, this is about real life, isn't it? Uh, what will we do now? What's the break here? We're going to take a 15-minute break. And uh, you'll probably never come back. You're so mad. <laughs> hey, this doesn't, get, this doesn't get worse. It gets better. Anyway, let's just bow our heads for a break prayer. Heavenly Father, we're glad you always hear us. Forgive us for not listening so much at the time. Just like the disciples said to Jesus that day when he had finished praying, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, do that for us. Teach us to pray like Jesus prayed. We ask in his name. Amen.